Be Wealthy and Smart, Episode 2. financial freedom without budgets, boredom, or bosses on Be Wealthy and Smart. And now, here's your host, Linda P. Jones. Hello and welcome to Be Wealthy and Smart. I'm Linda P. Jones, America's Wealth Mentor, empowering women and men worldwide to financial freedom. This episode is called The Twin Pillars of Wealth Building. That's what I call the two things you need to know to put your wealth building on steroids. Wow, that means this is the incredible place right now, two incredible places to build wealth. And it's the two most important things you need to know about creating wealth today. So I'll briefly tell you what the twin pillars of wealth building are and then go into more detail about them. The first pillar of wealth building is investment secrets of billionaires. I discovered after the financial crisis that billionaires were really in tune with what was happening in the economy in a way that was very obvious that they had prepared for what was coming, they knew what was coming, and they built a lot of wealth by having that information. It was not something that was ever discussed during my financial career. It was not ever anything discussed in the financial world because people don't typically look forward in the investment world. It's always about the rearview mirror because legally that's all financial advisors are able to look at is the past track record and not predict or project anything in the future. And I get that. I understand that. And there's a protection there that I understand. But I also know that there are causes and effects. And to look at what a cause might be that would cause an effect in the future that could be pretty dramatic like the financial crisis would be something you'd really want to know because you could build dramatic wealth if you knew that in advance. So I started researching who knew what would happen ahead of time, ahead of the financial crisis, and how did they benefit? Well, one of the most famous people to benefit from the investing secret of billionaires, the financial crisis, was John Paulson. He was a billionaire who made $7 billion by shorting the subprime market, meaning betting that mortgages would lose value. And he placed a huge bet on that and uh, really foresaw what was coming and found a way to, to monetize it, found a way to invest in it so that he built a fortune. And just watching that, observing that led me to understand more about cycles and understanding what economic cycles are and how valuable they are in wealth building. And yet there really wasn't any place that I read about this other than online doing some research, but it wasn't all put together and all nicely laid out. And, uh, you know, it was basically things I had to uncover myself. Another cycle that I found was back in 1987 when we had the stock market 
decline in um, about 28% in one day, Paul Tudor Jones, who is now a billionaire, made $100 million in that one day in 1987, October 19th of 1987, by recognizing a repeating cycle of a stock market crash. So again, Paul Tudor Jones was familiar with cycles. In fact, he contributed to the Foundation for the Study of Cycles and had cycle information that these economic cycles repeat at regular intervals and he was able to invest ahead of time and create a hundred million dollar fortune for himself at that time which now he's grown into billions. Another cycle expert that had been around in the early 1900s was W.D. Gann. And W.D. Gann studied cycles and planetary movements and reportedly made $50 million by predicting the connection between things going up, going on, and the, the connection with how planetary alignments impacted the Earth and how that impacted our energy here. This is not astrology. It's not astronomy. It's uh, it's cycles. It's actually how our planets work. It's how we base everything. It's how we base our clock, our seasons. All kinds of things are based on cycles. So he studied those and was, you know, rewarded very well financially for making some very timely predictions in advance that allowed him to make this fortune. Then I saw there were other billionaires like George Soros, Jim Rogers, Bill Gates, who were investing very similarly. And I found it really interesting that they were billionaires, and there aren't that many billionaires around on this planet, um, but that they would be investing in the same things. And that started to pique my interest, and I started to study more about that. And I found that cycles are peaks and valleys that repeat at regular intervals, and you can use those to predict what and where the best performing investments will be in the future. Now, it's not always exactly accurate, but there are some accuracies and there are some experts who are better at reading cycles than other people. It does take a lot of time, talent, and research to really understand the cycles and to have an expert tell you when the cycles are occurring is a better thing than trying to figure them out yourself. But I'll get more in depth on that in a minute. So the first twin pillar of wealth building is investing like billionaires. The second of the twin pillars to wealth is creating your luxury brand business. Why is creating a luxury brand business such a great way to build wealth? Well, if you look at the statistics, 77% of the wealthy got that way by using this method, by having a business. 77%. Now that includes people that are professionals, so doctors, lawyers, dentists, etc. And it includes entrepreneurs. Most of those people are straight out entrepreneurs, but it is an interesting statistic that, uh, you know, 77% of the wealthy got that way by owning a business. That, to me, says a lot. 
And not only that, but it's something that even if you're working for someone else and you feel like you don't have a spare minute, you don't want to rule out having a business on the side, especially if you could do it part-time, which because of technology, a lot of things can be done part-time right now very effectively. And, you know, when I made my first $2 million, I was doing that part-time. I was getting up early in the morning at 5 a.m., looking at stocks, doing my research, um, putting together my orders and waiting for the market to open, entering my orders, and then off I'd go to work. So it was a part-time side business for me. And, you know, I would encourage you to keep an open mind about the time that it might take to have a business because there may be some things that you can do to build wealth on the side or at least start on the side and then make it a full-time project later on. So the interesting thing about the twin pillars of wealth building and the first pillar, the investing secrets of billionaires, is that money does move in cycles and peaks in bubbles. And once I really looked at this whole idea of cycles and bubbles, it made a lot of sense to me. You know, we had the real estate bubble, we had the technology bubble, which peaked in early 2000. And these two bubbles, sort of being only eight years apart, seven to eight years apart, were really interesting to observe and to just watch the whole dynamic of them popping, growing and popping and seeing how it all came to be. And it was interesting because the cycles are different for different assets. So the cycle for stocks is different than the cycle for real estate. And what's fascinating is that cycles are how the whole entire earth works. There's over 4,300 cycles on our planet that have been uncovered. And of course, women know this because their body runs in definite cycles, but everyone has biorhythms and we all keep our time and count years by the seasons and the way the earth turns and how many times we are orbiting around the sun. And that makes our year to go around the sun one time in 365 days. So really there's a lot more about cycles than what we've been taught and it affects even financial markets and once you kind of take this as new information and you start looking at it it's very very revealing and there's a lot to it one of the people who first discovered cycles was edward dewey He was a Harvard economist who lived from 1895 to 1978. And his mission, he was given a mission by the President of the United States after the Depression to figure out why the United States had a depression. And when the research was done, it was determined that it was a cycle. And that was the normal... uh, thing that should occur at that particular time based on cycles. And here's what Dewey had to say about cycles. He said, cycles are meaningful and all science that has been developed in the absence of cycle knowledge is inadequate and partial. Any theory of economics, 
sociology, history, medicine, or climatology that ignores non-chance rhythms is as manifestly incomplete as medicine was before the discovery of germs. That was by Edward R. Dewey in 1967. So as the uh, founder of the Foundation for the Study of Cycles and really being a researcher, these cycles and this information about cycles was put together by him and others and sold to financiers. Uh, in fact, I mentioned Paul Tudor Jones was a, a person who donated to the Foundation for the Study of Cycles, and I believe he was a board member as well. So he certainly valued this cycle information. And it's really, really important for us to see how cycles impact everything, including financial markets. One of the clearest cycles to look at and one of the best examples we can see is the interest rate cycle, which is a 30-year cycle. So we can go back to 1982 when the interest rate cycle was peaking at around 20% interest. Uh, we were we were remembering anyone who was around in those days remembers inflation and interest rates kept rising to try and slow down the economy. I mean, it was a crazy time. Oil prices were crazy and out of control. We had price controls that Nixon put on us for rents and energy. It was, you know, a, an incredible time that is very different from today. And at that time, no one I mean, no one would have believed that 30 years later, about 2012, interest rates would be bottoming roughly at 0%, that the Federal Reserve is holding at zero. But our interest rates are so low, really no one would have guessed that that would happen unless you knew about cycles, that is. If you knew about cycles, you would have expected that. You would have been able to make a fortune by understanding that interest rates move in 30-year cycles. And if you now understand that 2012 probably was the bottom for interest rates and that over the next 30 years until 2042, we will likely see interest rates rise again and peak in 2042, then you probably can also make an awful lot of money if you can invest for the long term and understand what does well when interest rate cycles are going up, and what to avoid when interest rates are going up. So it's important because cycles, again, run on their own time frame, and most investments you can identify different cycles that occur. In real estate, it's interesting because you can look at an eight and a half year cycle, and you can see that there was a bottom in real estate in 1999. In fact, I remember the internet bubble was peaking in 99 and early 2000 and real estate was just sort of bottoming. And as the internet bubble started to peak and crash, people wanted to own something tangible. <laughs> they were wanting to get out of stocks and, and forget losing money in stocks and they wanted to own something for their money and get something for their money and interest rates, uh, were coming down and and people really were interested in investing in real estate. Real estate values were starting to go up. So that eight and a half year cycle for real estate, we really saw 
between 1999 and 2007. And it's my belief that we will see this eight and a half year cycle peak again in eight and a half years from 2007, which puts us around 2015, halfway through 2015, to see another peak in real estate at that time. Which makes sense because if interest rates start going up again, which the Federal Reserve has said they will likely um, start raising rates next year, then that makes complete sense that that could cause a peak in real estate. It could cause prices in real estate to go down. And uh, who knows what, what all that can get into. And that will continue on until 2023, the other eight and a half year cycle when real estate would bottom. So again, there's many different things that could cause this. It could be interest rates that cause this. It could be China's economy weakening. It could be problems that we may have with our own currency due to the excessive money printing, what's called quantitative easing that's been happening in our country, which we'll be talking more about. But we'll be exploring these topics. So again, please use this just as a starting point for research. And don't make any buying or selling decisions based on this. So you might be asking, am I saying you should sell all your real estate? No, that's not what I'm saying. But I do want to start the dialogue of talking about why there may be some less than stellar returns in real estate in the next few years, so you can make some informed decisions. And I really want you to think. I want you to think about cycles. I want you to think about what's possible. I want you to go back in time and identify if you can relate to cycles that have been occurring at regular intervals and see if you can identify real estate cycles that have occurred at regular intervals. Because if we can go back in time and identify those cycles, then it's also possible to go forward in time and have them be predictive and have them help us make some investment decisions. So we'll be talking more about cycles as we go along. But billionaires are very, very aware of cycles, and they use them to their advantage. And I think that that has helped them create a whole lot of money. So contrary to what people say, some say that no one saw the peak of the bubble, there were signs of the peak of the bubble. And in my last uh, podcast, I mentioned that I had seen signs of the peak of a bubble when I was considering whether to sell my primary residence or not after my husband died. And here are some of the things that I saw and some of the typical signs of the peak of a bubble that you can use to identify where we are uh, and, and maybe getting close to a peak of a bubble. So next to where I live, um, next to where I grew up on Mercer Island, there is a city called Bellevue. We lived in Medina, which is used to be a part of Bellevue. It's its own uh, city now. But we were next door to Bellevue, which saw a building boom. And there were probably over 20 cranes at one time building new high rises, mostly condos that I was told were going to sell for a million dollars a condo. Um, and when you see these multiple buildings of 
million dollar condos going up, you're thinking, who the heck is going to be buying these million dollar condos in Bellevue, Washington? I have no idea. And um, it really seemed like there was a lot of oversupply and that was not going to be a good thing. So noticing all these cranes, and interestingly, it was supposedly the second largest number of cranes on any skyline, second only to Singapore. And it was in Bellevue, Washington. That was very interesting to me. We also saw at that time housing prices were skyrocketing. So we saw that the metrics of housing, which are the per dollars per square foot value, uh, were very high and were higher than we'd really seen before. I remember talking about San Diego and watching um, or looking at pictures of a home in San Diego that was a very simple home, a two-bedroom, one-bath home with a carport, no garage, a carport, no view, nothing, and its price tag was a million dollars. Now, that was right before the peak of the bubble, but those are the insane valuations that you see at the peak of a bubble. We also saw some anecdotal evidence like television flipping shows. There were several shows about flipping houses and how to make money flipping houses. There was even a website that was in Miami and they would flip condos in Miami. They they would buy the condo, put it back on the website, not even step into it, not even look at it, but just automatically resell it and make an automatic profit by putting it back on the website. So it was a website flipper of condos in Miami. That is a very anecdotal uh, sign of a bubble, the peak of a bubble. And then there's what I call cocktail party swagger. And that's where people get together at cocktails and they brag about how much money they're making. So When you would go to a cocktail party, people would talk about how much money they made in real estate, how many homes they owned. Uh, This happened at the peak of the internet bubble as well, where people were talking about how much money they made in internet stocks and technology stocks, and uh, it was all over the cocktail party (laughs) uh, chatter. So that is also another interesting um, anecdotal piece of evidence. Uh, Back in 1929, when the stock market peaked, Uh, I remember a story about John F. Kennedy's father who said that he went to get a shoeshine on Wall Street and the shoeshine boy gave him a stock tip. He told him a stock to buy where he could make money. And then JFK's father went and sold all of his stocks because he reasoned if the shoeshine boy was so confident that he could make money and was invested in the stock market, then there must be no one else who has money to get into the market and therefore it must be at a peak, which I think is pretty sound reasoning. But the same thing happened to me in another form. I would call this where strangers are bragging to you. And what happened to me was in 19, well, about 2000, Uh, I remember getting a UPS package at the door and the UPS man, I said, oh, how you doing? You having a good day? And he said, oh, I'm having a great day. And I'm really happy because Cisco's stock went down and I'm able to buy some more. I had never seen this man before in my life and he was telling me he was going to buy a stock. Okay, when strangers talk to you about the investment that they're going to make, 
that is a sign of the peak of a bubble, okay? That just, that is not normal. I also remember taking a town car from the Seattle airport home and the whole way the driver was telling me about biotech stocks that he had invested in and how much money he was making in biotech stocks. I didn't ask him about it. He just started talking about it and telling me about it. And, you know, (laughs) when strangers are talking about how much money they're making in their investments, that's the peak of a bubble, okay? That's excessive. And things are about to turn the other way. I can promise you that. Nowadays, I'm hearing on the radio, just last weekend, I heard a seminar advertisement for how to buy foreclosures and how to flip houses. And I thought, boy, this is really interesting. And in this ad, it said, come to our seminar, we'll give you our free flipping formula. And uh, we will, you know, show you how we made all these profits. And then they listed a bunch of cities. And they said, we made so much in New York, and we made X amount in Miami, we made X amount in Nebraska, we made X amount, you know, all over these different representations of of towns that they and cities that they had made all this money flipping real estate. And I thought, mm-hmm, yeah, well, I can share with you my my stories about buying foreclosures, but here's what I know. I know that after a crisis, you can buy them very cheaply. And that's when you can make the most money because there's not a lot of people buying them. There's a lot of panic. There's a lot of fear. And so the people that step in and buy the foreclosures at the worst time of the recession will make the most money. After a period of time, that money sort of dries up because the value of the homes come up, people can't buy them as cheaply anymore. So if you can't make as much of a profit on the investments, then people will just buy them or people will just start teaching about how they used to buy them and make a lot of money on them. You know what I mean? So that's why right now we're getting a lot of seminars about how you can make money in real estate because they can't make the money in real estate anymore because the money was already made because the big move has already happened in terms of the crisis and now the price appreciation. So they're out there now teaching about how they used to do it because they can't do it anymore. So now they're making money by selling the seminars. So those are the kinds of things I want you to be aware of that when people are out there teaching about the seminar, it's because they can't make the money the kinds of profits that they used to uh, by buying the investment directly. So now they teach about the investment. The second pillar of wealth building is creating your luxury brand. And I mentioned that 77% of the wealthy got that way by owning a business. So it's a fabulous way to build wealth. And it's something I think everyone should do is to have a business. Even if you have a job, there's more opportunity right now than ever to do work once and get paid for it for the rest of your life. So that'd be okay with you, right? If you just did work once and then received checks for it for the rest of your life. Well, that is possible because of today's technology. You can create information products and sell your knowledge, record your knowledge and sell it and do that once and be paid for the rest of your life. So it's very time efficient for people that don't have a lot of time. But wealth building has really changed over the generations. And this is something I love to talk about because, you know, when our grandparents were working, they generally worked on farms. And then from the farms, they went into industry and they were 
making cars or steel or uh, they were in different factories and things like that. And then from there, they went to corporations and they started to work in tall buildings and offices at desks. And of course, now computers came into it. And now people can really start a business very economically. It doesn't cost a whole lot. It's uh, very efficient. You can outsource. You don't have to have employees. There's all kinds of things that are advantageous to having your own business now. But if you just look at an online perspective, this is so fascinating. You know, the way and the, the way that we can make money and the opportunities we have are so different. For example, it used to be all about location, location, location. If you wanted to have a store, you had to be at the right corner so you'd get all the traffic and all the people driving by or walking by. They'd stop in your store and they'd buy whatever you had. And location was everything. But now location is all about being on page one of Google. <laughs> I mean, that's really the location because you can be anywhere in the world to sell your products and services and you have to have the right location online now and you can market to the entire world. So rather than just marketing to the people that walked on that street corner or drove by on that street, you can now market to the entire planet for the first time ever in history. You can market to everyone on the planet pretty much or soon everyone on the planet. Uh, but every year becomes more possible to market to more people. And that has never been possible before. So you've got a low cost to start up a business and an ability to reach more people. The metrics for that and for wealth building are incredible. So what we're seeing is the youngest billionaires ever are being created. And that is only going to continue, that the amount of money that's going to be created, the amount of profit has increased as these expenses have come down and the, the ability to sell to more people has gone up, that's increased the percentage of profit ability. And we also have technology which can automate things. We have, um, you know, really a situation where there's no more dollars for hours. You don't have to work hourly anymore. You can you can create something and sell it forever. And content is really king. People want knowledge and they want to know how to shorten their path to get to where they want to go. It's almost like an apprenticeship is back or, you know, I'm teaching as a mentor and people are going to be mentored and apprenticed to learn certain things. I think that's a very big trend that's here to stay. So, you know, Right now, all of the knowledge that we've ever had in the world basically is at our fingertips and we can learn so much. But what we don't have is creativity. You know, we don't have the ability to create um, a unique product, a unique thing, the way a person can create a unique thing. We can create you know, we can crunch numbers and we can calculate things with the computer, but the creativity, yes, we can make graphics and that kind of thing, but it still, it still requires a human. And that means that the right brain, the creativity is what is going to be really of value in the future. So a luxury brand is really one that is priced, packaged, and promoted to work with high-end clients. And affluent clients those who make a few hundred thousand dollars a year 
are not as sensitive to the economy or to price changes, and they can continue to buy your products and services. So if you are marketing to the affluent, that's usually a great market to, uh, to market to. And you can do this on the side, you can do this, you know, with your passion, whatever it is that you love to do, you can actually create a lifestyle business. That to me was one of the important things I wanted to do was have something challenging, have something I love to do, have something I love to talk about, and have the lifestyle where I could be at home, live where I wanted to live, and be with my doggies. And that's what I wanted. So you can use your passion to make it fun for you. It's so fun, you don't need to retire from it any anytime soon because you enjoy it so much. So the definition of retirement is even changing. And with the massive audience that we now have the ability to talk to, there's enough people for you to find a tribe to follow you in just about anything. And that's Seth Godin's um, great term, tribe, and his book I highly recommend about finding your tribe and really about different tribes that you can create because there's so many people that can follow you now. And if you have something to sell, you don't even have to have your own website. You can sell it on other websites like Spotify or Etsy or other websites that, you know, you can sell products on and services on. So it's really interesting that the way that we create wealth is very different, but we have more opportunity than ever to create wealth through having our own business. And the first step I would say for you to take is make sure you have the website that has your name in it. So for me, it was lindapjones.com. If you have a common name like Linda Jones, I would suggest you use a middle initial to make you stand out. Um, But you definitely should get your own URL and have your name and go to godaddy.com or one of those and save your URL because you will likely have a website in the future and it likely will involve your name or you may want to to have it under your name. So our time is up for today, but what we learned about were the twin pillars of wealth building. The first pillar, investing secrets of billionaires using bubbles and cycles to build wealth and to anticipate what is coming. And the second pillar is creating your luxury brand business where 77% of the wealthy got that way from owning a business. So there are opportunities now more than ever to do the work once and get paid the rest of your life. And I just encourage you to think about what I've shared with you today. We can talk more about it. And if you're eager to start on the first step to wealth, which is your wealthy mindset, go over to my website, bewealthyandsmart.com and sign up for 21 days to a wealthy mindset. These are daily emails with videos, audios, and information to help you change your thinking from lack to wealth in 21 days. How you think is the foundation for everything else we're doing. So get started now to remove those limiting beliefs. And that's the bewealthyandsmart.com website. Go over there, put your name and email in to get your 21 steps. Until next time, live the good life and be wealthy and smart. Thank you for listening to Be Wealthy and Smart with Linda P. Jones. Share the wealth and tell your family and friends about the show. Check out our website, blog, 
and social media for more riches at www.bewealthyandsmart.com.